The world of marketing is ever-changing and can be confusing, frustrating, and outright exhausting. Welcome to Unbottling, the marketing podcast where experts share their experiences, stories, and best practices on online and internet marketing. Featuring Steve Wiedemann, former marketer for Disney, Skechers, and other well-known brands. Break through the hype with real marketing tips from industry leaders. This is Unbottleneck. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unbottleneck, the podcast where we solve common marketing problems, particularly in digital marketing. And today we're bringing back one of our favorite guests, Scott Stoffer. Did I pronounce it right, Scott? You got uh, it. Yeah, thanks. All right. Um, and he is a search engineer. So we're going to get a little bit geeky, uh, but we'll try to keep it uh, at a level that everybody hopefully can understand and enjoy. And we're going to talk about uh, something that's sort of fundamental to search. Before we get into um, you know, what, how to optimize your content and how to get backlinks, let's talk about how you would build an evergreen Googlebot. You know, if you were going to start over and say, hey, I need to build a search engine that's fair and it's organic, um, that isn't going to result in me getting sued by people because they feel like it's biased. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about the topic today. And I know we have a lot to cover. So, Scott, I'll let you take it away. Um, how sure. do we build an evergreen Googlebot? Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought starting off uh, talking about um, how how a search engine is built, uh, sort of the first layer of that is understanding how do we gather the data, right? So it's the crawler. So the the web crawler is the piece of, of software that is responsible for going out and, uh, well, it, it has a number of responsibilities. The, the primary responsibility, obviously, is to gather the data and, and be able to sort that data uh, in your own database. Um, there's a lot of uh, crawlers out there that you can uh, obtain today, uh, you know, as opposed to maybe 15 years ago when we started this. Um, so, you know, if you're not a, you know, if you're not a coder, you know, you can always grab one of those crawlers and use those. Uh, there's a lot of different, uh, programs that can do, you know, crawling in the background. I wanted to give you just sort of like a, an overview of what a real search engine crawler is going to look like, uh, today in 2022 and, uh, and just have the ability to understand as an SEO person, um, what's actually happening on, in a, in a crawler and how that can affect uh, some of the things you do with SEO. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so it's just one of those uh, perspectives that you don't normally get to see. I um, I'm, I'm so, stoked. Yeah, I, I think I think the first thing to, to kind of focus in on is just the beginning of of uh, crawlers. And that was obviously uh, a crawler uh, that was invented uh, by Google called Backrub. Mm -hmm. So if you remember uh, Backrub, I think it was in about 1996, Larry Page, uh, you know, uh, built this crawler. They called it Backrub. Uh, back then, Stanford, I think, right? yeah, back, yeah it, it, that was at Stanford. He was doing his thesis. And that was approximately 10 million web pages, I think, at the time, which was a lot uh, given the, you know, given the hardware. Um, you know, at the time, only uh, two other major players had had tackled the changes and of building a, a a scalable crawler infrastructure, and that would be uh, Alta Vista and Excite. Right. So, you know, Larry uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin um, were sort of the next two to discover how complicated that uh, a project like that was. And, you uh, know, of course, my story starts a, a few years later, still, you know, way before open source libraries and generic uh, SaaS based crawler offerings that, that there are, there are today. Uh, 
And, and so one of the major things that uh, you deal with as a search engineer is just the, the, the sheer scale of things, right? So uh, back when we started this, we didn't have AWS. We didn't have all the cloud uh, computing that, that's available us to today. So a lot of, it, of uh, information had to travel all over the place instead of getting a, a cached version of it on your nearest cloud web server. Yeah, and and it's uh, and, and and you can imagine like the the ability to code is it, w- it was not sufficient enough to build a you know a, a crawler. You had to have hardware experience as well. You need to you needed to have a, a hardware guy on on the team at least. Uh, preferably a whole team of hardware specialists to, to tackle this. Uh, I remember, uh, I don't know if the uh, image is somewhere, I think it might be on the Ask the Search Engineer site, but there's an image of us and uh, in one of our houses that we had uh, procured to, to basically put stuff all these servers in. And so we had like rooms full of servers. We had electricians out almost weekly, uh, upgrading uh, all of our electric um we had multiple investments in, in uh, air conditioning units, you know, cause the, just the amount of heat, basically creating our own uh, uh, data center. Uh, and that's what you sort of had to do back then. I, it, I think it, center. I love it. I think no it, I think at one doors, point, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at one point, uh, Larry in, uh, at Stanford, I think when they finally kind of clobbered it all together, uh, and, and plugged it into to Stanford's uh, bandwidth. I think it was taking down about a half of San, Stanford's bandwidth. Um, so not only is it just the, the sheer scale of the, the hardware, but it's also just the, the sheer scale of uh, bandwidth that's uh, required to do this. And obviously, if you want to do uh, a crawler like Google, you've got to crawl everything, right? It's, it's not just a, you don't get to pick and choose uh, like, like, uh, like a different type of crawler might be. And so uh, so one of the, the, the main strategies that we had when we built our crawlers, we, we weren't, first of all, we weren't building a crawler to compete with Google. Uh, we were building a crawler to understand what the crawler was doing. So essentially we're building Market our own Brew, crawler. Right? Yeah. And, and so, uh, so yeah, so this is at Market Brew and, and Market Brew's, uh, crawler, uh, we, we came up with some, some really interesting ways to, uh, pick off uh, subsets of the internet and be able to emulate or statistically uh, get close to what was happening in, on the real thing. So that that enabled us to avoid the, the sheer scale of hardware. We didn't have to be putting in $10, $20 million into the hardware before we even stepped out of the gate. We, we were able to kind of ramp up uh, over time. So let me just go, we'll step step back here and just t- talk about uh, sort of the the uh, the beginning of a crawler as you're building this crawler, um, the first thing you you have to do is is really understand what kind of content that you're going to crawl, right? So the first thing you have to figure out is is uh, you know am I going to be crawling just HTML pages? Do I am I crawling all my CSS yeah. files? Yes. Do I am I executing all the JavaScript files? Uh, what about XML files or JSON files or all kinds of different uh, files that you're going to come across as a crawler? So that's the first thing you have to do is just sort of understand. Uh, what uh, content you're going to actually acquire. Um, another thing is like how many bytes that you have to crawl, right? So that sounds very trivial, but like there there are uh, sites and landing pages that are that go on for you know uh, megabytes, right? Like just con- continuously. Uh, uh, there's the infinite scroll. Um, there's a lot of different situations where you could get into um, a situation where 
you know, a very tiny amount of pages on the internet cause a large amount of processing because you, you don't have that limit. So it's really about setting limits in the beginning, just so your crawler can gauge for that. Wasn't there Scott, at one point then in, in search console, there was this, this gauge that you could set to say how fast you wanted Google bot to crawl back in the day. Yeah. And, and so it's always sort of, if you think about it from a search engineer's perspective, you're always setting limits. Um, so that your your crawler can sort of stay within the bounds of of what is sort of normal. Um, we we always talk about the Pareto principle, the eighty twenty principle, right? So it's it really is uh, in this case uh, with crawling is that you're uh, you know twenty percent of of the pages, and I would say it's even less than this, but it's 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 like five percent of the pages on the internet cause you know sort of like all the headaches uh, in in the search engine world. And so, you know, it took, um, with market brew, it probably took over eight years before our crawler really stabilized and we weren't running into new edge cases. Um, and even today we'll run into edge cases and it's almost like we have to do a double take, you know, it's like, wait a minute, we've crawled how many pages, like trillions and trillions of pages and multiple times. And now all of a sudden this one page is giving us a problem. And it's usually because of some new JavaScript uh, compile a uh, new JavaScript uh, library or React something now, that you know so, some non SEO developer uh, decided to put in uh, <laughs> into the work. So, um, so that's so the limits there are really important. Um, you have to consider also like redirects, right? So when you're crawling redirects, um, you know this goes back to the you know the SEOs that aren't coders here listening to this. Um, it really does matter. You can't just be uh, thinking, well, the crawler's just going to do everything for me, uh, even though most modern crawlers, you know, sort of try to attempt to do that. Um, most of the time you have to worry about, uh, you know, uh, like for instance, a 301 redirect loop, right? So how many times can a 301 redirect happen before you stop it? Right. Right. And this is simple. If you think about it, uh, you know, you might just say, well, well, just, uh, you know, just, you just continue it and until it's done. Right. But there are situations where, uh, you, you get into a loop where 301 redirects happen. Uh, this happens a lot with when sites are redirecting HTTP to HTTPS and then you end up in this. Yeah, the, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so you end up with this like recursive uh, logic that continuously keeps you in this loop. So you have to find things uh, like that, where you have to make sure that the crawler, it, the goal is really is you're trying to make sure that the crawler doesn't get stuck right uh, on one specific part of the internet or one specific page or site. Um, and so that's sort of what the limits do. And then also, also like, you know, how long should you wait, right? So uh, back in the day, it was just simply the res the server response time. Uh, but today, uh, you know, you, uh, and we'll get into this uh, shortly here, uh, where we get to talk talk about the evergreen uh, Google bot that, that, that you can create. Um, but uh, a lot of this uh, gets down to setting timeout limits on, uh, how fast that JavaScript is parsing on the page. So you load the content and then there's a period of time between, between the content being loaded in your, in your renderer, uh, and ac actually being executed, uh, and the DOM being manipulated, uh, accordingly. I, I, so recall, a... I recall that being something that was brought up. I think it was just a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe even within the last year or so where Google had mentioned, Hey, we can, we can crawl. JavaScript now, and the way that we're going to do it is we're going to crawl the page. Uh, we're going to, you know, to, to process all this JavaScript, and then we're going to come back after we've sort of rendered and created a, a version of what the user will see, and then we'll crawl that page, 
um, after we've Correct. already executed all those JavaScripts to see if we can emulate as close as possible to what the actual visitor is going to see in their browser. Okay. Yeah, and, th and this is exactly what we did back in the early days. So we actually uh, were pretty confident that we were the second uh, JavaScript rendering engine that uh, was built after Google. I think we beat Microsoft on this. This is before Bing was doing the JavaScript uh, rendering. Uh, so more, back in the day, Marker Brew was called SEO Engine and uh, in 2012. And uh, we had built our own sort of home-built JavaScript rendering engine. So this was really interesting. There was uh, a period of time before pre-render.io uh, where the sites where you would you would be creating these escape fragments and these static versions of, of, this, uh, of JavaScript pages because the crawlers couldn't couldn't understand what was happening with JavaScript. So uh, solutions like pre-render.io would come along and, you know, pre-render.io would take your, your uh, convoluted JavaScript that's running and they would, it would just run it through a rendering engine and spit out what the static HTML should be. Yeah. Um, and so back then what we would do is we would crawl the, the content, we would store that content, and then we would have a second process, just like you had mentioned uh, Google saying, uh, where we would take that and run it through a rendering engine and then uh, sort of crawl that version after that. Um, and you can detect things. The reason why we do that twice is that we would detect things like cloaked links and cloaked yeah. content and stuff that affiliate JavaScript marketers was, you, Sneaky affiliate yeah. marketers. Yeah, know, all that stuff. Out. These crawlers can figure what you're doing out and they definitely don't want you blocking your JavaScripts or style sheets because that's... Uh, to me, that's like a transparency issue. So you've yeah. got um, you've got the the crawl control, uh, and then we've got the the process of trying to um, trying to uh, crawl a page after it's been uh, after all the JavaScripts and style sheets have been rendered. Yeah, and so so this became uh, uh, horrifically hard to maintain because uh, we were literally cr maintaining a JavaScript rendering engine uh, on top of our crawler um, and having all these different various solutions like pre-render.io came along uh, shortly after, maybe, I don't want to date it, but uh, shortly after that time uh, frame. And uh, and so sites that were having a really bad problem with uh, rendering their their uh, pages in, in the, with the JavaScript technology they were using, uh, they would use pre-render.io. And so, of course, in our crawler, we would have this flag that says this is a pre-render site. It was just a mess, right? So, um, and so... Uh, that that eventually uh, we we grew out of that eventually to use uh, um, the Chrome headless, and so Chrome headless is uh, something that anybody can download and and uh, it's basically just Chrome without a UI. It allows you to sort of through an API crawl a site, and uh, I, I, basically what this gives us is the ability to con constantly update to the latest Chrome version and the the Blink rendering engine that uh, sits neatly inside of that. And so uh, that sort of all that all that uh, processing and coding for their for a home built JavaScript rendering engine just sort of went out the window uh, in lieu of just using the uh, what what you see in in Chrome. Um, and so that's been a huge major improvement over the past uh, few years. Just the, the the ability to tap into Chrome headless. Um, we use uh, uh, some some tools to actually allow us to do some really cool things with this now. So. We can sure. access the networking tools on uh, on Chrome, just like if you, when you hit F12 on Chrome and you see uh, the, de the dev tools, uh, we can do all kinds of things programmatically. So, for instance, uh, we can uh, emulate user agents. We can uh, add uh, our own JavaScript before loading. 
Uh, you may ask why that is. Well, uh, this thing came out called uh, recently uh, came out called uh, uh, Core Web Vitals. Yep. So there's a there's a Web Vitals script that uh, webmasters can use to to add to their site, and that allows them to sort of measure uh, actual in the field uh, measurements for users whether or not they're they're getting good good Core Web Vital metrics. Uh, but that that code has to be on the page for it to actually load for for actually a user experience to load. Um, otherwise, you can go to uh, Google's uh, uh, own tools and and get sort of like the non in the field metrics. It's basically yeah, just telling every time. So yeah, yeah I like, I like and it's a it's a mess. And we sort so so what we did is we, early on we came up with an idea of well why don't we inject this web vital script on the page as we crawl it and we'll do it the same way for every single page that we crawl and that sort of gives us sort of a baseline because we're doing it the same way to every single page. And then, um, and then we actually execute, you know, it gets executed as if the, the, the site had put that script on there to measure core web vitals. Mm -hmm. And then of course, the, one of the great things about that is that your crawler can then at scale measure core web vitals for millions of pages, right? It, they don't have to have that script on the page because now we can inject that script on the page as if it was already there. So that, so these, these tools that came along later on were really, really helpful in, in, uh, sort of emulating what Google wants to do. Um, Google uh, creates a lot of specific metrics and specific ways it does things. So this being the dominant search engine in the world uh, kind of was a, a nice way to go uh, technically. Right. Uh, so that, nice that's- They have transparency too, Scott. It's nice that when you see a post that says HTTPS is going to be a ranking signal and you see um, mobile page speed as a ranking signal, when you see those you know, in, in Google and even in, in Bing, uh, blog post, you're like, thank you for being transparent and telling us what's important to you. Because now you're giving us guidelines and having guidelines helps keep us from going to the dark side of SEO and doing things we shouldn't be doing unknowingly or knowingly. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great that they're that they're being more transparent and saying this is what we're looking for, uh, because it gives us something to work toward. Absolutely. And, and so, so we're talking about uh, initially talking about setting limits and bounds on the crawler. We're also now talking about uh, the the ability to to run these uh, co complicated JavaScript uh, commands when we load the page, so we understand exactly what the user is seeing and obviously what Google is seeing. Um, then we get into performance considerations, right? So uh, we, we've got to be able to set sort you know sort of limits on uh, how many 403s are we going to uh, allow, right? So if you're crawling a site and all of a sudden you start getting a lot of 403s, it's Four, going to be for those people listening is basically a forbidden. Um, right. error code. So it's not just not found. It's saying um, you're not allowed to come to my page, basically. Right. And that typically typically will get triggered by many different things. Uh, if you have a, a non-polite uh, bot uh, that is crawling too fast, or maybe the the server, a lot of the servers are very aggressive today, and mm -hmm. they will literally just any anything that looks non-human, it will just stop uh, totally. Um, and so there's different uh, things that you want to do in your crawler because you don't want to, again, you don't want to get stuck on parts of the internet where it's not going to scale, right? Because you're going to have like that 5% of those pages taking up all the time. Uh, so you're, you know, just hitting basically over and over again. Uh, you have to have time li timeout limits on the crawl. So, uh, you know, if you start crawling a site and their server is having a performance issue, you don't want your servers or your queue to, to slow down. Uh, you simply want to just say, okay, well, there's something wrong with this site. We put it into a special queue and 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 uh, move on with 
uh, with the rest of the site. This, this is particularly you don't want to happen. You want crawlers right. to be able to go in, get what they need and get out. You don't want them to have to say, oh, well, I'll come back later, especially if you have new content. Maybe you've got news that you want shared and that news needs to be there like within seconds of being published. If you've got side errors and the crawlers are seeing 403s, you know, your news post is probably going to show up a little a day late. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, the, the, that's absolutely the takeaway for SEO is that, uh, you know, when you have, when you have any kind of technical issues, um, you can rest assured that like search engineers who are building these crawlers are going to make sure that if we do detect certain issues like this, a lot of times your site will get kicked into sort of a, a different queue and process at a different time, right? It's sort of like taking somebody out of the line and saying, come over here. We have to, to, to wand you security wise. Right. So it's, it's basically like, uh, you get a different set of rules that get applied. So uh, timeout limits, 403 limits. Um, we got to do timeout limits on the scripts themselves, right? So in that JavaScript rendering engine, uh, even if when we use the, the the Chrome headless now today, we still have to put a limit on uh, the, the the JavaScript processing because you can you can load a page and it's JavaScript. We have no control over that, right? I can write a JavaScript program that loops over a million times before it releases the, the, the JavaScript function or method. And so uh, you have to, the search engineer has to always make sure that uh, you keep sort of a, a box uh, of limits so that you don't, uh, you know, have that edge case kind of rip, rip apart your entire process. Right. Um, then we get into like the performance and accuracy. Uh, so uh one of the things that we had to invent at Market Brew, Market Brew being a much smaller company than Google, uh, we had to have the ability to crawl at the scale of Google, but without sort of the, the, the cost of the hardware of Google. So this uh, perplexed us for many, many years, uh, but we have eventually figured it out over time. Uh, and we, we were able to use sort of a neural net crawler that was self-learning, right? So what I mean by that is, is that we would go out and uh, a lot of times our modeling tools are going to be modeling specific areas of the internet, right? So uh, with our crawlers, we decided, well, we don't need to crawl the entire internet. And by the way, if you're going to be uh, uh, writing a crawler for backlinks like Ahrefs or anybody who has a backlink index, you kind of do have to crawl the whole internet. In fact, we had... Uh, uh, early 2013, I think we had a thing called uh, the Link Neighborhood. This was before Ahrefs, and uh, uh, this is just basically. I think we had the Yahoo's uh, 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 Link Index Majestic, and uh, SiteMozes uh, and Majestic, Rush, right? There's right. All these different tools. Yeah. Yeah. And so we saw. So Market Brew, we saw this as sort of a uh, going commodity, right? Everybody was going to have a backlink uh, index, or not everybody, but it was it was going to turn into a commodity. And so we decided to uh, ditch the link link neighborhood, but the, you know, with the link neighborhood, it, you have to crawl the whole site. So it's, it's, you're basically taking a lot of the limits and, and cutting the limits down. Right. So like your, your, the limits become tighter, uh, cause you want faster crawling, right? So anything that's outside the bounds of, of what is normal, uh, it's, it's going to be even more limited, uh, with, with that. So. It depends on you know, performance wise, it depends on what you're trying to do. But from our perspective, we were building statistical models so we could relax some of those limits. It wasn't going to be like a full on, we need to crawl the whole internet. Mm -hmm. um, but to do this, you have to solve a couple problems, right? So you have to understand the accuracy of your models uh, or your, your graph that you're building. And so the, the crawlers would actually crawl a site 
and analyze that site. And then uh, the next time around, it would try to it would try to limit the, the pages that it crawled the next time. So it was always constantly trying to find what is the best statistical sample of that part of the internet. Uh, so instead of, you know, crawling, you know, all 10 million pages on like Walmart or something like that, yeah. uh, our crawler might find out that it only needs like, you know, 500 pages uh, to, to build a statistical model that's, you know, 0.0001% accuracy less than doing all 10 million pages. Sort of, and so sort there's a limit the where templates in the, right. So for yeah. product detail pages and categories, for example, I don't need every, you every don't need every single refinement permutation every yes. product URL, right? <laughs> so we would, we would do some really uh, cool tricks with that and, and uh, come to have a, a, a very sophisticated crawler that, uh, not only you know incorporated all this new JavaScript technology, but also was able to crawl in a fraction of the time. Right? We we you know most crawlers out there that you uh, can can uh, rent or buy, you're just gonna it's a brute force attack, right? You're just yeah. brute forcing. We're gonna crawl 10 million pages and and get all the data if that's what you want to do. But in our case, there's, there's what there's there's deep crawl, there's on crawl, there's write, and you kick a thing off and it's like. Screaming Frog to another one. <laughs> yeah, it, there's, yeah. and it really did become like a sort of a commodity where, uh, you know, it's just a matter of what you're trying to do, and the, and the, sort of the devil's in the details, right? So when typically what what you're doing when you're when you're renting or using a crawler is you're trying to solve a particular problem, mm -hmm. and that crawler, it because it's a generic crawler is is sort of unable to solve your specific particular thing that you're trying to do, whether that's pull out specific data and process that internally, pre or post process it. So a lot of times the crawler and the way that uh, the, the the solution that you're trying to develop are inter interconnected. And so the uh, like in our case right here, we're building statistical models at Market Brew. We made our crawler uh, specifically focused on uh, uh, doing what the, the same amount of work that Google's crawlers uh, do, but in a fraction of the time because we didn't want to wait, you know, uh, to be able to have to crawl every single page to get the answer. And so, but when you do that, you run into other issues like uh, if you truncate the graph, right? So if you take a, a web graph and you truncate it, uh, you're left with what? You're left with a bunch of dangling nodes, right? right. Uh, nodes that they link to other pages, but they're not there in the graph, right? We, we sort of truncated them. So what do you do with that? And you can go back to the original PageRank uh, patent uh, and, and uh, their discussion of how do you deal with dangling nodes. There's a uh, a nice way to sort of use that in the calculation when you're when you're sort of understanding the eigenvector matrix of that web graph. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that went into that. Uh, took many years to kind of do that. So depending on what kind of crawler you're building, you can you can you know uh, cut corners or you can make it specialized in a certain way. So that's a that's one consideration uh, that you have to look at. Um, the reachability is also another consideration, right? So a lot of sites will just completely block uh, crawlers, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's for competitive reasons or just privacy. If you're in the travel well, industry, you're obviously protecting scrapers. Google from Robot and Slurp. Yep, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. And so, so uh, obviously, you have to have, you know, in in a case of if you really want to have a, a scalable crawler, you've got to have some sort of proxy network. Uh, in the case where you want to be able to simulate, you know, multiple users and not just have uh, sort of a naked uh, signature that you're just, it's, I'm a crawler. And so uh, the, the ability to have like a proxy network, um, that's one of the things that you need to look at. Also the ability to throttle your crawler. So if you detect that uh, a site is, you know, uh, 
very slow or if it's uh, 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 returning 403s, one of the first things our crawlers will do is try to slow up the crawl just to make sure that we're not putting any undue, uh, undue stress on that server. I think we have an average of like three, uh, 3,000 millis- three seconds to in between uh, crawls when we're crawling a, any subdomain. So any subdomain kind of it checks to see if, if it's crawled at any time sooner and, and it will add a throttle. Uh, time out there. Yeah, isn't there a way so for web servers to detect whether you're really Googlebot or if you're trying to crawl as Googlebot? Yeah, I mean, there's some very sophisticated software today that can pretty reliably detect whether it's a bot or uh, a human and, and obviously can detect like a, a Googlebot. You can spoof the usernames. Yeah. Um, you can't spoof uh, you really can't spoof the IP addresses. Uh, so there's different there's different signatures uh, uh, on uh, uh, on a crawl where you can kind of uh, ascertain whether or not it's a, a bot or a human. It's really up to the user of the server to 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 determine how aggressive or not aggressive that is going to be. Obviously, the more aggressive you tune that up, the less scrapers are going to crawl your site, but the more uh, issues you may have with uh, searchability and crawlability just with the legitimate crawlers. Um, you know, like a lot of clients that come to use market brew technology, they'll come on board and we, we give them special, uh, user user agents, or we can even whitelist, uh, their servers that we set up for them to, to do these models. That's, so that that's the way one of our clients has to do it. Cause they've, they've yeah. blocked any kind of crawler that we've tried to run. So we have to give them specific IP addresses yeah. to add to their allow lists, right? We don't, we're trying to be more politically correct these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and, and it's a pain because they'll remove it as soon as the crawl is done. They'll keep nagging us, hey, is the crawl done? Is the crawl done? Like, yeah, it's done. Okay, great. They remove the IPs. So talk about like security. It depends on what kind of site you are. I mean, if you're a site that's selling data, then obviously you got to be on lockdown, right? Because I mean, it's someone, it's some anybody can write a, a scraper, scrape the data, and and there's all your IP. So I totally understand it. Um, on that same line, you know, we, we, we would be missed by uh, not talking about robots.txt. So yes. obviously, using the meta robots and the robots.txt file, um, uh, I think is uh, something that just goes without saying. When you're building a crawler, you've got to have a robust uh, robots uh, parser, so you have to understand exactly what the the uh, how to be polite as a search engine crawler. Uh, so that's very important. Is you want to make sure that you're uh, uh, you're crawling fast enough, but you're also uh, you're you're obeying what the sort of the rules of uh, right. of being a good citizen on the internet. Uh, <laughs> so if, if the robots file says disallow a folder called private, you don't want to crawl the private folder because it's it's rude and you know it's something that they don't wish to have indexed right? yeah and I, I and and also you know got to go back to the what's the crawler doing what's it what's it for and so the crawler that we build it at marker brew we're, we're building statistical models of of google basically so we want to know exactly what google is going to look at and so we have to you know we have to parse all the all the directives even if they're conflicting directives in robots.txt what do you do if two things are conflicting um or ambiguous uh, and so you have to sort of understand um, what the uh, what what the what the protocol is, but then also how does Google approach that protocol? Because even in the definition of that, there can be ambiguities and stuff like that. So uh, it's it's very 
a lot more complex than you would think, uh, than just using sort of like a robots I've, reader or something like that. God, I've um, heard that it's it's required now for a lot of different search engines are are requiring a robots file um, if you want to be crawled and indexed. I'm hearing a lot of rumors about that, and then I'm also hearing, and this has kind of been going on for a while, that that search engines really don't want you using the robots txt to block folders. That they prefer you just put a no index in the meta tag on the pages themselves, so that they can yeah. crawl everything. And the only index, you know, what you've declared you want indexed in the page itself. Um, is there some background on that? Is it just to, to prevent all the affiliate marketers from doing the, you know, the, the cloaking and stuff they're doing? Or what was the reasoning behind Google, um, you know, basically saying, please don't, you know, block anything using robots TXT instead? Um, well, yeah. You know, page. So, so obviously this is all conjecture. I can just guess at, at what the reasons would be being, you know, building my own search engine. Um, but I think there's some altruism to this. I think, um, you know, if you look at, and a lot of people don't understand like link flow theory or link flow distribution theory, which is just basically understanding the graph of, of, of the web and understanding the, the citation structure in between it and how certain links are more powerful than other links and how that all plays into the, the, the overall the to determining importance. I love it. Yeah. And, and so when you look at a link flow distribution, essentially the distribution of, of uh, we could just start with the internal link flow distribution of a site, right? So where does that link flow go once it comes to the subdomain, which pages does it go? You know, yeah. effectively yeah, when you design a site and you link up all the pages on the site, you are telling the search engine, these pages are more important than these pages and so on and so forth. So we're talking about sort of the distribution of, of ranking power that goes to all these pages. Um, and when you look at that distribution, it turns out that when you use a meta robots uh, uh, no index follow, right, which is a, typically what, what, what you're trying to do, um, that the, uh, or, or if you're using a robots.txt file, um, it, a lot of times when you're blocking those pages from a robots.txt file, you can actually end up with a node that is existing with um, a, an existing amount of ranking power in your site, but does not get indexed, right? It actually doesn't, uh, it doesn't become a revenue producing page for you as a, as a site owner. Right. And so you really want to focus on um, uh, the, the meta uh, tags primarily because you don't run into so many of those problems with a robot.txt. So there's actually a real reason technically why they don't want to, they would rather have you uh, put the tags on the, on the page. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's, it, I think I, I want to, as a search engineer, I want to believe that that that's the real reason. Uh, there could be other reasons, but uh, the, there's an actual real reason to not use robot.txt. If you don't know what you're doing, you can really kind of, uh, uh, we call it internal link loss. Essentially, you've got all the citation structure coming to your site, but you have certain pages that are hogging up all that structure. Think of it like you're like a privacy page or a terms of service page, right? Yep. These are good examples of internal link loss where you on uh, have a lot of link flow going to these pages just because you have them linked from every single page. Yet those are not going to return you any revenue, right? Those pages are not going to, there's a million privacy policy pages on, on the internet. Yours is not going to be the one that comes up. And so the, 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 these uh, pages that get kind of hog up all this link flow, whether it's because they have the link flow and they're, they're excluding it from being uh, indexed, or it's just simply a page that, you know, it's indexed, but it doesn't, it's not going to be unique enough to rank on its own, but it's, but it's taking all the link flow from the pages. Right. Um, so th these are all things that uh, you, you, 
would want to uh, look at when we're talking about robots and how, do we exclude certain pages? So sure. I, I want to say that it sort of, sort of deals with that. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I can't imagine why anyone would just, wouldn't just put user agent, everything, uh, disallow nothing, and then sitemap and the, uh, you know, uh, a path to where the XML is and just leave it at that. I feel like there's so many sites that, that continuously put things in their robots TXT and you really, you really don't need to, I don't think. I mean, I can't. I think it's, so it, I, I view it as like everything else, right? Like if you're an expert, you can tell, you can tell you're talking to an expert because they don't have to explain too much, right? Right. Like it's very easy. The more easy somebody explains something, the more it's easy it sounds, the more likely that person's an expert. It's the same thing with designing all these exclusions and stuff like that. The, the best thing to do is just get your link graph correct. You don't need to be adding no follows. You don't need to be adding robots.txt files. Just get the link flow correct. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't want a, a page to, to suck up all the link flow, then go fix your internal linking. You literally can do things where it looks just fine on the UI perspective, but uh, from a search engine's perspective, it's it's you, you've optimized it so that you you know only the pages that are going to be revenue pages get most of the link flow internally. So that's the best way to do it, absolutely. And it's sort of the same reason, you know, the clean organic way is really the the best way. But you have to know what you're doing when you do that. I think the robot stuff and the no follow those are the easy way out, right? You see something wrong and you oh I'll just throw a little tag on it and everything will be fixed. Um, <laughs> So anyways, go back to sort of the building the crawler. We get into accuracy issues. So we deal with things like redirects, uh, canonicals, hreflangs, uh, what we call preferred pages. I'll, get, I'll talk about that in a, a moment. Um, or Orphan pages, right? So our crawler, you have to determine how aggressive your crawler is going to be, but our crawler will actually pull out HTML uh, uh, URLs from the HTML that uh, may, may not actually be uh, being linked to. And this actually happens a lot with JavaScript uh, yeah, where you'll get, JavaScript you get a lot of like in, yeah. in comments, you'll see the, the URL and it, it gets, you know, used in, in on a, on click event or something like that. Um, but or drop down, uh, it's, a, it's a drop down list of URLs and it doesn't, uh, doesn't contain the href tag. I've seen that. Correct. Yeah. So we have to do a lot of things with that, uh, understanding how uh, these orphan pages fit into the overall crawling strategy. Uh, when we talked about canonicals and redirects, those all have to be addressed. Um, you know, when you're uh, when you have a canonical, you obviously you're redirecting link flow through that through to the canonical. And also when you're crawling, you have to kind of understand, hey, have I crawled this page before? Is it, you know, in, in your budget when you're building a statistical model like our crawler does, you're you're basically worried about, you know, who, what's the actual canonical page of this page and you know, have we crawled it yet? And it, it make you know, if you've crawled one of the the pages that are uh, canonicalized to that page, you have to make sure that that canonical page is also being crawled and scored and everything. And so the, there's this, this uh, butterfly effect that, that you deal with to make sure that the accuracy of the model or that that link graph or, or page graph is is correct. I remember Amazon um, working through that the way that their old uh, site structure was, and uh, you wouldn't find a a href link to the canonical URL that they wanted in Google's index. Yeah, they, and because the way that the uh, the system was set up was with all refinements and search queries and stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, when they finally figured it out. I mean, I remember this like massive spike in how they were able to grow their traffic almost overnight and come out of what was a, a pretty nasty financial deficit back then. So yep. pretty big win to have fixed just that whole URL schema. Yeah. And then we, we talk about um, 
performance considerations, right? We talked about the, uh, uh, you know, the, the obvious performance issues where we talk about, um, you know, setting limits and making sure that the crawler doesn't get stuck on things. But then you deal with actual performance issues of your your infrastructure, right? So uh, there, it starts with a database, right? So we, uh, Marker Brew runs on Postgres, uh, but there's many different types of databases out there. Google invented a, a thing called Bigtable to address the the massive uh, um, scaling that it, the, they had to take on. Uh, so with your database, you have to understand, you know, when you're when you're recrawling sites, right, and you've got millions of these links and pages and all these different entities that you're storing in the in a database there's things that pop up where there are actual limits to how fast you can push data into a database mm-hmm. um, I fa- in fact when we started uh, marker brew in 2007 uh, we had uh, one of our first big clients uh, got signed and we we quadrupled our traffic overnight and uh, and it, something got mixed up, the communication, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of what was happening. And here I am building out our first, you know, kind of alpha product uh, going into beta. And, and then the uh, Yeah, the database, uh, we were using um, uh, My, MySQL. Oh, geez. And MySQL is just fine. Well, it's a great database, but it turns out there's a massive uh, insert limit on uh, MySQL that uh, back then we, we ran in into. CMS system. So, yeah. And yeah. you have to change the uh, the settings. Change it to thirty two. Change it to fifty four. <laughs> so change so we ended up <laughs> within a two week period. We actually uh, uh, I I pretty much didn't sleep for two weeks, and I rewrote the entire uh, RDMS uh, system from MySQL to Postgres, uh, simply because there was this this sort of the insert uh, bottleneck for MySQL. So you deal with things like that. Uh, we ended up solving uh, some of that with uh, the way that we do with link parsing. So every link that that we uh, crawl. Um, obviously, most of those links are already on the page that we crawled before. So this is a new update to the page. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to delete all those links out of our database. We simply want to find those links that and update the ones that we need to. And that saves us a lot of processing because we're not deleting every link out of the database. It's got to write a, a, a transaction lock on that and a separate table that it's got to write out to. And then you insert all the the links again and it's a very that's a very inefficient way to do things so we wrote our own link matching algorithms we have a, a collision detection and resolution uh subsystem uh called the link discoverer and the link collider uh right. so there's all kinds of crazy things that go into sort of the performance of getting the data into into the database right so we kind of we're kind of merging the crawler and the storing and indexing part of it and we'll talk about that in a, in a later podcast but right. um all of these things here are uh, crucial into making sure that uh, the single-threaded crawler is fast enough so that it can, you know, shove the data that it's crawling as fast as it's crawling. It can push it into the into the database. So, so the, again, you you really the 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 trick about building a search engine or building a crawler is that uh, you are dealing with that Pareto principle, right? So it's you, you you can be running for many years and all of a sudden you run into all these edge cases. Um, and usually it's just one or two edge cases that you, you run into. Um, but, uh, you know, the example would be like uh, just recently uh, Pizza Hut. Uh, if you go visit the pizzahut.com site, uh, you'll find this thing called escaped fragments, right? And back in the day, escaped fragments uh, were just simply anchor, anchors, right? Like you have a URL, you put a pound sign, and you put a little anchor next to that. Yep. And that's not a unique URL, right? The anchor was sort of stripped off. 
uh, historically from Google. Analytics too. <laughs> right. And so now uh, fast forward, you got all these new uh, JavaScript regimes where uh, they were actually, they're actually using these, these escape fragments. Escape means uh, basically you have this uh, uh, exclamation point and then the pound sign. That's called the escaped fragment, the fragment being the pound sign part of it. And uh, it turns out that uh, now with a lot of these, these interfaces, uh, when you write a control, when you write a crawler, you've got to determine, do these escape fragments actually change the content on this page? Mm-hmm. And if so, then all of a sudden you have to, to start considering the, the escape fragments as, as, a, as part of a unique URL. Right. So there's all these, these uh, edge cases that can have these rippling effects throughout the entire system. You know, you think you have it exactly, you, you have a URL defined exactly the way it, it's going to be. And that's the end of the story. And then, you know, 10, 12 years later, uh, you have escape fragments uh, leaking into URLs. So all kinds of things that you have to uh, worry about. Uh, you have to worry about uh, understanding uh, um, parsing images, right? So when you're crawling, you have to understand uh, how am I going to, uh, what am I going to do with this? And a lot of this is based off of what you're trying to process. So in Market Brew, we we, we look at uh, uh, the bytes in the image. We look at the image size. We want to know the image size primarily because if it's a link, uh, we want to know that that's a that's a link signal, right? So how big are the the images? Where is that image on the in the DOM on the screen? So all these kind of determine how uh, powerful or not powerful uh, links may be. Um, and obviously, some of the con- uh, uh, convolutional neural networks today can look at a picture and give you a, a sort of an alt text automatically. Right. So that's uh, another thing that uh, our crawlers are uh, going to be looking at is the ability, the ability to to do stuff like that with with images. Um, you have to worry about and, yep, totally. yeah, you have to worry about like cached uh, caching uh, CSS files, right? Because you don't want to be crawling that CSS file over and over and over again. So you have to have servers that will maintain you know a cached version of CSS on specific sites um, and and uh, all the all the stuff that gets loaded every single time. You don't want to be redoing that as much as possible. So you'll have a lot, uh, you know, you have your L1 cache and L2 cache, and there's all these like layers of caches that you'll have throughout the entire uh, site or your architecture right. uh, to make that that web crawler run as fast as possible. Um, so that that's sort of the uh, the idea when you when you're approaching building a a, a crawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the types of things that you have to sort of figure out. What is it going to do? What What's the data it's going to operate on? Uh, again, in Market Brew, we build statistical samplings of, this, of, of the, the web graph. So we actually break up the internet into what we call shards, uh, S-H-A-R-D-S. And so these are basically uh, delineated, uh, you know, uh, pieces of the internet that gets cut up into different pieces and put on different server servers in, in uh, the market brew architecture. So we we basically each server farm is is looking at a different part of the internet, and that's how we sort of uh, break it up and and are able to scale that up uh, to as large as we want. So right. there's all kinds of sort of architecture things that you have to worry about from an SEO perspective. I think uh, I think the big takeaways here are are just understanding um, that. Uh, the crawlers are, are, are not magical, right? Like they're not going to just solve all your problems. So the, the best thing you can do as an SEO is, is not get into the situation where you, you're asking yourself, well, will the crawler be okay with this, right? Um, 
because we, you know, if you're asking that question, you're typically, you're trying to do something that's not standard or not uh, uh, nominal. And so I would say just as an SEO, keep your, keep, try to stay within the bounds of, of what is normal. Um, if you are working with a new technology or a new like JavaScript uh, library, uh, be very, very careful uh, on your rollout, you know, make sure it's it's put through user acceptance testing, run some sort of model or some sort of SEO tool on it to make sure that uh, it's able to, to, to um, crawl the way you think it will. I think that's probably the the main goal of, of, of our commercial product at Market Brew, which is we want to make that as true as possible. So we our goal is when you're crawling uh, using the the brew bot, basically, we want we want that bot to to emulate exactly what we think the Google bot would be doing. And that's primarily the 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 only purpose of that is to so that the user of of our, our technology can actually understand exactly what's happening with uh, with Googlebot. So yeah, from an SEO's perspective, you got to really, yeah. what's that? That's in to have confidence that, that the site is uh, crawlable and indexable by yeah. engines like Google. Yeah. So, so I think the, those are the um, uh, things that kind of like outside of just using uh, Chrome headless, which is, which is a, a huge uh, boon to all of this was the ability to kind of, not have a home-built JavaScript rendering engine. It's all kind of sort of packaged up in there. Um, outside of that, there's, uh, I think, let's see, I, I think I counted uh, 5,180 lines of code logic in our main crawler, which is actually very small if you think about it. It's a, you know, the the logic behind uh, taking the content and putting it in, in our system to, in a way that we can index and, and retrieve that. And, and later on, we'll talk about the scoring layer, right? The scoring layer is the sort of the next layer down where it's taking all the data that's been stored uh, and we're going to act on it, right? We want to look at the data. We want to start running uh, thousands of algorithms across it. And each algorithm is going to have its own way of looking at that data, but we have to prepare that data so that it's it's clean and it's uniformly distributed the same way across every single single site. Because as we're looking at sites from a search engine's perspective, you always want to apply those that same uh, methodology equally across all the different sites. So, um, so that's the scoring layer. We'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, do you have any questions, like from just an SEO perspective? You know, uh, it, it just makes me want to go back to the days when we switched from tables to CSS layouts. Uh, with um, CSS Zen Garden, you know, there was just this time where we could create a, you know, a, an HTML page that was 150, 200 rows of code max, super clean, very organized, one JavaScript, one style sheet that we would call, um, you know, and then the metadata at the top. Uh, there's, there was a time when, when HTML was simple. And I want to, I want to kind of go back to those days. And in some cases where search engines don't need to crawl certain types of content. Maybe we put that on a subdomain and just block search engines altogether from all the processing things and functionality that isn't something we want indexed and keep that marketing content, those upper funnel, lower funnel pages, um, just super lightweight and clean and easy without all the extra JavaScripts and, you know, the, the code that's, that sort of bloats, you know, our, our site. Um, kind of want to go back to those days, but it feels impossible now because of the way that um, different systems need to interact, you know, with content and um, personalization and location targeting. There's just so many different things that we can do now 
functionality wise that I feel like the days of 150 row HTML pages, one combined JavaScript and one combined CSS um, just isn't possible anymore, you know, but search engines would crawl and, and navigate our sites like it was nothing back then. Our sites loaded in a fraction of a second. And, um, and now we've got a lot that we're trying to process and do and, and make happen that almost makes, you know, old school design obsolete. Yeah, and I think with in the advent of of what seems like every year there's a new JavaScript library. Um, yeah. I think you're always going to have situations where, uh, what you know, you have web designers and and UI designers trying to push a certain technology without any kind of context of how does this play into the crawlability of a site. Yep. So you got to really be careful, you know, as an SEO. Uh, uh, professional or, or a website owner that's hired a professional, uh, you really have to be careful with the SEO side of things when you're dealing with new technologies. So that's the only thing that I would say, just disclaimer, new technology in itself is not a bad thing. Like there's some amazing new JavaScript libraries that help pages load really quickly. And, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of lazy loading. Uh, and so, you know, you just have to be careful that, uh, with, I'm not trying to, push people into getting a tool like market brew, but like you have to have some sort of tool that allows you to understand whether, whether or not that, that technology can be crawled efficiently or not. Um, and a lot of times you'll find things where, you know, parts of the page are just missing because, uh, you know, maybe that page doesn't get loaded until there's a user interaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do actually in our, in our crawler as part of the J JavaScript rendering, uh, uh, engine, we will simulate user clicks, um, just so you know. So we can do this, uh, and just you know, maybe this helps people understand that Google can do this. But uh, you can simulate uh, user interactivity. Uh, we have we have a, a library called Selenium uh, uh, that allows us to uh, emulate anything we want. So it's actually originally writ written for user acceptance testing, unit testing, where you can just uh, simulate a bunch of unit tests that where a user clicks on links or does something on on the screen. You can make it basically a user do anything you want programmatically. Uh, and so we, we, uh, we will do this for a number of reasons. One is, you know, when you are, when you have links that don't have URLs, right. Uh, you have to click on that link to see what, where that, that URL actually goes. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously we wouldn't do that for every single link on a page, but, uh, we've got algorithms where, uh, you know, if there's like a hundred links on a page, none of them have URLs. We'll click on one of them to see the translation between what it's uh, what that URL uh, becomes when it when the user clicks on it, and a lot of times we'll then use that as and extrapolate that to all the other links. Uh, that's one of the ways that we do it. Um, and then also just like, Scott, not to interrupt, but one of my favorite things is that that this engine was built by search engine engineers, where a lot of the other web crawler tools were built by developers that we're trying to just create something that can throw some information in a database. Whereas market brew is genuinely, you know, built by search engineers to understand how search engines are interacting. Like you said, with, with the, uh, the links and the content and the JavaScripts and the, the CSS, not just. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an SEO URL. specific crawler, right? So yeah. we, we, we designed it in mind to be used by SEO professionals, not just a, you know, regular, Google user. It's somebody who actually wants to see the inside of a search engine, how it's actually working in real time. So, um, yeah, so I think that's the major, uh, sort of overview of how to build a crawler. 
Uh, obviously, it takes many, many years. I, I mentioned before, it took, I think, almost eight years of running this crawler nonstop, uh, trillions and trillions of links and, and billions of pages. Uh, to And we still were running into edge cases uh, at that point. But it really took about eight years for us to stabilize where it wasn't just like, you know, nonstop you know, uh, part of the, the crawler breaking and, and trying to, you know, fix that, that edge case up uh, here and there. Use and <laughs> so that's, uh, really, you yeah. know, when you're building a crawler, I would say just like anything in, in, uh, machine and, in, in, uh, uh, big data is the more data that you have, uh, the more crawls that you have on under its belt, the, the more trustworthy it's going to be. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just don't know what you're getting into until you get, you know, uh, get fully into it. Right. Um, as all the different things, you know, you might, you might have one edge case and it changes the entire approach of every single other uh, page because of the way that it's just the, that, that, that logic that needs to be processed. So you guys have built um, something amazing over there, Scott. I'm, I'm super impressed. I know looking at the, the insights in the back end is always exciting. And um, so that, that was basically the, 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 what was it? The, the tip tapered down version of, an evergreen uh, search engine and how it's created, but there's obviously so many rabbit holes we could go down in every single part that you talked about from nodes and databases and hardware. And there's so much that, that can happen with it, but at least for those people who are in, you know, search engine optimization and thinking about a little bit about how search engines work, now you've got some context as to all the things that are behind it. And I can't wait to get into the scoring part of it when we get into that uh, particular be fun. episode. I know we have a few planned, but um, this has been amazing. Anything else you wanted to kind of throw out there before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, but we'll get into the scoring layer next. Uh, it basically builds upon what we talked about today uh, and, and, and talks about like, how does, how, what is a scoring layer? People don't even understand like, what is a layer, right? What, why are we talking <laughs> layers? So we'll talk about like the overall arching uh, structure, but um, you know, like for instance, in 2012 ish, uh, Google came out with uh, caffeine and that's, that was literally the separation of the scoring layer from the crawling layer. They were, they, they made a scoring methodology that was not completely tied to the, the crawling part of it. Um, and, I and that sort went of back to like 2009, I remember 2009, that. maybe, I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, it was forever ago. Yeah. And, and so, uh, the scoring layer is itself a sort of a separate entity today in modern search engines. And we'll go over how it takes all that crawl, you know, that, that, uh, crawling layer and all that data that gets stored and, uh, you know, properly put in its place and how, uh, we can take the scoring layer and, and start to build actual, uh, functionality out of a search engine. Uh, and we'll that. eventually get up to the, the, there's the query layer on top of that, where, we are able to to take in real time all the data that's been scored, and use a user uh, a user query uh, comes in in real time, and we need to instantly index and return a, a set of results based off of all that pre processing in that scoring layer. So we'll talk about it a little bit later. But for the evergreen Googlebot, that's the the major considerations in building a uh, a crawler. Again, with Chrome headless today, uh, you can you know if you're a, a hacker, you can go out there and build your first crawler by just simply uh, proxying sort of the, the Chrome headless uh, uh, engine uh, and, and sort of get started that way. Uh, uh, you can look at Selenium. Selenium is a great uh, uh, API to, to uh, use Chrome headless. Um, and there's a lot of different uh, uh, supporting libraries that, that you can use to, on top of that, all kinds of different uh, HTML parsing and 
uh, stuff like that. But yeah, we could sit here and talk for, <laughs> talk about for weeks and weeks on every little aspect of, of crawling it. There's the devil's <laughs> truly in the details, but with uh, something like Chrome headless, it kind of solves a lot of things out of the box for uh, first timers. So if you're, if you're definitely uh, looking at that, I would, I would go, Google go with it, that. check it out. Chrome yeah. headless and, Chrome headless and selenium, selenium. It would be a, selenium. a good start. Yeah. Perfect. All right. And then yeah. until the next episode, that's a, that's a wrap for an evergreen web crawler. And Scott, thanks as always. We'll see you on the next one. All right. We'll see you soon. 